Thank you for listening to this message from Rooted and Resolved. Well, if you would, take your copy of God's Word and let's turn to Genesis chapter 12. I'm going to start, I guess, in chapter 11 in the few verses that lead up to that, but I'm right there at chapter 12 is where we're going to be to start this morning. Hebrews 11 and verse 6 tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. But faith is not natural for us, is it? Faith is not our default mode. Doubt is very natural. Fear is very natural. Running through every possible what if in your mind, that's natural. Coming to the worst possible conclusion is natural. Relying on your personal experiences or just, you know, all of your, all of your collected memory to, to base your trust in that rather than in trusting in God. That's very natural for us. Manipulating the circumstances or the situation to try to get the outcome you want, that's natural for us. Faith is not natural for us. Because faith is not natural, faith is a thing that has to be developed. And that's why we want to look at Abraham's story, because Abraham's story is a story of developing faith. It's one where God is growing Abraham in ways that Abraham could never have imagined at the beginning. To introduce this series, which we're going to call Learning to Trust God, because that's what's happening with Abraham's life. We're watching him actively learn to trust God. And it's so important for you and I, because at the initial time of this, that God called Abraham to follow, he did not know what was in store for him. When God called to him, Abraham had no idea what was in store But through the course of that story, you see how God grows Abraham's faith. You see that there's times when Abraham faithfully follows God and does exactly what God asked him to do. Then there's other times where he does not trust God and he has a failure in his faith. You see moments where the thing that God is asking Abraham to do, we might consider to be an easy thing. There's times where you see God asking Abraham to do a thing that's very difficult. But throughout the course of this, what you find is Abraham learning to trust God. Warren Wiersbe says, The life of Abraham is an example for all Christians who want to walk by faith. Abraham was saved by faith, lived by faith, and his obedience was the evidence of his faith. Abraham obeyed when he did not know where, how, when, or why, and so should we. There's a lot of similarities here in Abraham's journey of faith and just ours. And so my hope would be that as we watch Abraham learn to trust God, that we would do the same. Hopefully, through the course of of these messages, that what we would do is, is we would begin to recognize in our own past ways that God has grown our faith, things that God has used to take us from where we were to where we are now, And then that we would develop the the trust in him to be able to take great strides in our faith journey moving forward. Today we're going to start at the beginning of that journey for Abraham. We're going to call today's message Into the Unknown. This is what is happening with Abraham. God is calling him into the unknown. The question is, will he follow? Amy works uh, at Elite with Waylon, and I, I go over and do devotions with those guys over at Elite. And every, um, every year at the end of the year, the employees at Elite take this trip to Gatlinburg. And Waylon kind of uses that as a moment to kind of rehash the previous year and kind of look forward to, to the coming year. And so I want to tell you a little bit about what happened when we went on that trip last year. Not this, not this past time, but last year. I had a funeral to do that day during the day, and so we were not going to leave early in the day to go to Gatlinburg. In fact, the Rawls took our kids to, to Gatlinburg. They, they, I stayed here for the funeral, Amy stayed here with me, and all our kids went up with them, and they, they went to Gatlinburg. We were planning to come that afternoon. 
When we left home, this is what we knew. It's spitting snow in Gatlinburg. There was, no, there was no forecast of, you know, inches and inches of snow. There was not that, but they said it's spitting snow in Gatlinburg. It's not sticking. So we head off. We leave our house. Now, you need to know that the first peril on this journey comes up here at this bridge in Chickamauga they were working on. Y'all remember that? And they had everything down. It was, you know, the, you went from four lanes, and you went down to two lanes, and you cross this bridge they're working on. And then you go, it opens back up to four lanes. So when we get down here to this bridge, we get onto the bridge, and coming from the other direction, a road rage incident has been happening, and, and somebody will not let this other person merge. And so when we come onto the bridge, there's this other, this, this group of traffic that's coming, and there's somebody in our lane. There's a big truck in our lane coming straight toward us, and this person is not going to let them over. And I have nowhere to go. There's cars behind me. There's some big barricades on both sides, you know. I guess I could have steered off into Chickamauga Creek, but I didn't. I held it right there for a minute. I just slowed down. I was going to give this guy time to get over. And eventually he gunned it. And he, but it was very close. When I'm trying to describe it to you now, I, I can't like, there was the initial shock. You know, Amy does this to me. You know what I mean? Like, this is the end, you know. Uh, uh, it was very there was like that gasp when it happened, and then it was so close that when it was over with, we didn't even say, Whew, that was close. It was just quiet in the car for like four solid minutes. You know what I mean? We just were contemplating life after this had happened. The very next thing that Amy said to me, when the silence was broken, Amy said, I thought our boys were going to be orphans because that's how serious it was. That's how close it was on the bridge. Traffic was really bad. But we noticed that once we got on the 75, it did start snowing, and it started snowing pretty good. And so when I got up there to about Loudon, I said to myself, I'm not going through Ware's Valley. I'm not going that direction. I'm, I'm going to go all the way through Knoxville. I'm going to stay on this interstate where the roads are not going to freeze over and we're not going to have any trouble. At this point in the story, I need to take a time out. I need to tell you, before I ever tell you about our adventure, Colton and Kelsey, Justin and Kelly, they all got off the interstate there. And before it was over with, they were sitting at the bottom of hills watching cars try to go up and crash into other things. And, and they had Annie with them. Kelsey, didn't y'all have to bum water off somebody? You have to go to other fellow travelers that were stranded to get water to make a bottle. Turns out that was a good decision to not get off and to go through Knoxville. But when we got up there to where 40, you know, 40 and 75, from that moment until I got off of 40, I never went more than 15 miles an hour. And that was probably pretty safe because it was really coming down and it was sticking on the road. And by the time we got off up there around Sevierville, you know, there were lines on the road, but you couldn't see them. You couldn't see them. We had been on the center state for so long, we had to go to the bathroom. We slid into the gas station as those other jokers were sliding out we go to the bathroom, we get back out onto the road, and I mean, we're just following cars. They could have driven off a cliff, and we would have followed them because we didn't know where we were going. We were just following wherever they were going. You couldn't see the road, you couldn't see the lines, you couldn't see anything. We were just driving blindly. I think it took us about six hours to get to Gatlinburg, that trip. It, when we left home, we had no idea. No idea. This is the way, what we're going to read about with Abraham, this is how it is. We, this like perilous journey that Abraham joins, that God calls Abraham to, he has no idea when he leaves home what's waiting for him down the road. You know, every one of us in this room are setting out on this perilous journey into 2024, aren't we? Like we're all pulling out, we're ready to go, we're headed to Gatlinburg, baby. But we have no idea what's in store on the road for this year. We don't know. We don't know. It could be great things. could be really devastating things. We don't know what's on the road for this coming year. But the same way that Abraham puts his trust in God and follows him, follows God's will for him as he begins this journey, this is what you and I are called to do when we enter into this journey of faith with him. And so the same way that Abraham was willing to venture into the unknown of where God would lead him, 
This is what we want to look at today and see Abraham heading off, leaving home into the unknown. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to start in Genesis 11. Let's back up to Genesis 11 and 27. Let's get a little background here about Abraham before we actually read about his call in chapter 12. So in Genesis 11 and 27, it says, Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred, in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren. She had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west, Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. Let me give you this disclaimer before we start this, um, before we start this, dive into this message. You know, we're going to be talking about Abraham, but you notice in this passage he's Abram. You know, later on we're going to see his name changed. And so I'm going to do my best to call him Abram until we get there. But you know who I'm talking about if I say Abraham. So let's just rock on with that. Also, if you read that, that, that little section that we just read in chapter 11, you know that there's a lot of names that are repeated and, and a lot of phrases that can be confusing. But hopefully today as we work through this, we're going to be able to track his journey and understand what's going on as he takes his first steps in this journey of faith. So let's just walk through what happens with Abraham and see if we can kind of draw some parallels to, to our own story, okay? Let's start with the first section that I want us to look at. I want us to start by talking about the preparation. I believe chapter 11 describes the preparation that happened. This story does not begin with Abraham leaving home. This story begins long before that. As we sit here today, wherever God wants to take you next, the story doesn't start here. The story starts in every moment that has led up to this one because in all of those moments, God is doing a thing to prepare you for what is next. The same is true with Abraham. Now, Abraham is unlike other biblical characters. He's unlike David or Moses or John the Baptist. We're not introduced to Abraham until he's an adult. We don't see Abraham as a baby or as a young person. Now, based on some of the clues that we get in Scripture, we can make some assumptions about his life, and that's what I want us to do for just a few minutes so that we can try to understand a little bit about Abraham and what was happening in his life prior to this that God was using to lead up to this call in his life. We know that Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, what I'm going to do for a little bit, I'm going to get these guys. You guys have a map you can throw up for me? I'm going to kind of use this map. Hopefully, we'll be able to see it. Maybe over the next couple of weeks, this will be a map that we can use some. And so, I want to try to describe a little bit about this, give you some, give you some history here. So, you'll notice on the bottom right side of this map is a city called Ur. 
And this is where most scholars believe Ur was located, okay? This is in Iraq, southern Iraq, south of where we would think about Babylon being. And this is where most scholars believe Ur to be. Prior to about 1850, the location of Ur was thought to have been up near Haran. There was a, there was a, um, maybe some kind of tablet that was found in Elba that referred to a place called Urfa, and, but it was referred to as Ur, and it shortened to Ur. And so there was a place called Urfa that was up near Haran. And so some people would say that that's where Ur is. Prior to 1850, that's where most scholars thought that it was. But in 1850, there was an excavation at that site that's there in southern Iraq. And based on some of the things that were found there, we believe that to be the place where Abraham was born and raised Ur of the Chaldeans. That was his land. Some people would say that, you know, um, if, why did Abraham take this big trek? If, if, he, if he was from Ur, why didn't he just cross? But you'll notice this map's pretty good in the fact that it shows us that beautiful bright green around the Euphrates River. And you'll remember from our study in Zechariah, remember how people didn't enter into Palestine crossing that desert. They, they, they went up and then down from the north. Remember, when we talk about people coming from Babylon, you can clearly see that Babylon is not to the north of Palestine. But that's how people went and came to, uh, to Palestine would have been that direction. And so most people believe that this is where Ur was located. No matter where Ur was located, this is what we know about Abraham. We know that Abraham and his family were pagans. They did not trust God. In fact, Ur, that location there that south of Babylon, was a city devoted to uh, Nanar, a moon god of the Sumer people. And so that, that's where people have attributed or, or kind of think that Abraham may have followed that, worshipped that god that was a, a, the, the prime deity in that area. We know this based on Joshua 24 and verse 2. Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, and they served other gods. So we know that about Abraham. And thinking about everything that leads up to this call, I've often wondered and thought about, okay, imagine that. Just imagine Abraham living in Ur, no conception of of, of the one true God. His, his foundation of religion is this multi-god, gods of the Sumerian people. That's where his thinking is. So how and why does Abraham follow the one true God? How does that happen? As I think through that sort of thing, I think about, you know, on the surface, you might look at Abraham's life and you might think, well, Abraham... You know, these gods had been good to Abraham. You know, you might think on the surface, if he's worshiping these gods, Abraham came from a wealthy household. We can gather that from the passage. His family had lots of possessions. His family, his family as a whole was, was blessed. But, but we can also tell from, from that, that that everything was not right with Abraham either, right? It says that Sarai, his wife, was barren. Abraham's family unit had not been blessed, seemingly. Maybe he struggled with that. You know what's often true of people that are very wealthy is that people that are very wealthy and do not walk with God sometimes will recognize and still feel that emptiness in them. You know that? They're looking for contentment. They're looking for some kind of peace with their creator. But they have all of these material possessions, and yet there's still this discontent in their heart. Looking around, a person might think, I have everything that would make a person happy. Why am I not happy? Maybe those things were happening in Abraham's heart. But we do know this. His family was pagan. Maybe he prayed to those gods, and he got no answer when it came to these things. But we know that the one true living God revealed himself to Abraham. We're going to read more of this passage in just a bit, but look at Acts 7 and verse 2. This is Stephen. We're going to use some of these other passages to piece together this story. Stephen, describing Abraham, says, Brothers and fathers, hear me. 
The God of glory, that's the phrase I want you to hang on to. Look at it. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. We don't know how the God of glory revealed himself to Abraham, but what we know is he did. And here's what I have to believe. In that moment, Abraham, who had been worshiping, praying to, empty, false, lifeless gods. When the one true God, full of power and glory and life, speaks to him, it was undeniable. It made the worship of all of those things seem ludicrous. And he leaves home, he takes everything he has, and he follows this call of God. When you are convicted by the power of the Holy Spirit and you see the lifeless deadness of your sin, when you recognize all that you have been pursuing is for naught and God reveals to you his glory and his power, it's very hard to, you can't unsee that. That's what happens with Abraham. That's what happens with Abraham. He recognizes him to be the one true God. And you, I'm sure, know that all of this is preparation. It's like all of this has been leading up to this moment where God would call him and he would follow. For those of you that have trusted Christ, you know that to be true. Do you remember that day? Do you remember that day when, when the Holy Spirit convicted you of your sin and you recognized your need for him and you trusted him? Do you remember did it not feel like everything in your life had been leading up to this one moment, had been leading up to this thing, had been leading to this person who would save you from your sin? This is what's happening here. Whenever, wherever you are right now on your journey of faith, God has prepared you in the, in the days, weeks, months leading up to this. God has prepared you for whatever's next. We can know with whatever we face in 2024, God has used 2023 and 2022 and 2021 and so on to prepare us for what we're going to encounter this year. That's what God does. You see the preparation that happened in Abraham's heart, but let's talk a little bit about the promise that comes to Abraham. And I'm going to focus here on Genesis 12, 1 through 3, because when God called Abram to leave Ur, there was a promise of blessing that would follow. God called him to do this, and God made a promise to him. Verse 1 of chapter 12, it tells him, Go from your country to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. Notice it's a, let's read this through, and notice it's a threefold promise. I'll make of you a great nation. I'll bless you. I'll make your name great. It's a threefold promise. It's the promise of land in verse 1. It's the promise to be of, of a family or a great nation. That's the second part of the promise. And I'll bless you or I'll make you a blessing. Blessing is the third part of that promise. Abraham's whole life, the Liberty Commentary says, Abraham's whole life centered around each of these promises. And as the story continues, we're going to see that he was severely tested in all three of those areas. Now notice what happens in that promise to Abraham. God does not reveal how he's going to do that thing. God does not give Abraham explanations or, or lay out. He doesn't give him reasons or explanations. He doesn't lay all that out. He simply gives Abraham a promise. And Abraham follows through. In Hebrews chapter 11 Listen to this too. This is pretty incredible. Think about this for a minute. Abraham, all the, think about the promise. I'm going to give you a land. I'm going to give you a great nation. I'm going to, through you, I'm going to bless. You're going to be a blessing to all the nations. I'm going to bless you, yes, but you're going to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth. Now listen, at the beginning of this journey, I know that many of you know this story already. Did Abraham see any of those things happen in his lifetime? Now, that really rubs us the wrong way if you think about it, doesn't it? God called me to be obedient. God gave me this promise. And I was obedient. So I should get to experience the blessing of that promise. But, you know, sometimes 
when God calls us to do a thing, there's a larger purpose than just our comfort. Do you know that? The things that God calls us to do, the, the places he's leading us, he doesn't call us to go there just so that our life can be better. He calls us into a thing that his will might be done. He calls us into a thing that his name might be glorified. And our faith is not in, our trust is not in the reward or the blessing of the promise. What's our faith in? At the outset, from the get-go of the journey of faith, you need to recognize that God always promises, there's always the promise of blessing on the other side of obedience. Let me say that again. There's always the promise of blessing on the other side of obedience, right? It may not come to you as direct as it has come to Abraham here. But there's always that promise of blessing on the other side. Here's the, here's the gotcha, though. You may not always be the one that's blessed by it. You may not always be the one who gets to experience the comfort or the pleasure or the benefit. Uh, ultimately, you will. But you understand for this, Abraham never saw the fulfillment of those promises. Hebrews 11 and verse 13. Listen to what it says in that, in that chapter of faith. It's, it's just got done. I, I, I'm just pulling this one verse out, but it's, it's right in the middle of talking about Abraham's faith when it says this. So we have to believe that even though this verse is speaking about more people than just Abraham. It's, it's really connected to Abraham's story. It says, these all died in faith, listen, having received the, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on this earth. Isn't that amazing? Like what God's calling you to, I believe is a better place for us, right? I mean, if God's calling you, if, 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 if God's calling you to go there, knowing God's heart, it's better that we be there than stay here. It's better to be there than to be disobedient. There's that promise of blessing. So we know that he's leading us there. But in this case, Abraham didn't even see the fulfillment of that promise. And so for you and I, it's really important that we latch on to that and recognize that the promise is, is in him. What we're trusting in is, is in him. It, it's not that everything's going to be great and there's going to be no problems on the other side of obedience. What we're recognizing is, is that this promise given to Abraham, if he's leading us into this place, if he's leading us into the unknown, we can assume that in his plan, it's better for us to be there. It's where we should be. You know what I love about this too? When God comes to Abraham and he says, I'm going to give you a land, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a great nation, I'm going to make you a blessing, God is the one making the promise. He doesn't require a promise from Abraham. He doesn't say, Abraham, if you promise to do this, I will. He says, leave the place that I will, leave the, your home, leave your kindred, leave this, and I will. I will. It's so beautiful to me because you know when we're saved, we're not saved because of a promise that we make to God. Did you know that? We're not saved because we make a promise to God. Nobody comes to this altar and says, God, I promise that I'm going to live from you, for you from now until the end of my life. Now, you may say that, and you may mean it in that moment, but is that going to happen? And when you falter and when you stumble and when you mess up, does God snatch his salvation away from you? Because we're not saved based on a promise that we make to him. We're not faithful. <laughs> but he is faithful to us. We are saved because we believe the promise of who he is. We're saved because we believe his promises to us. We're saved because of who he is, not saved because of something that we have done. This is the trust that we have in him. This is played out in this story of Abraham as he follows God's leading. He's leading us to what's next, and that holds the future or holds the promise of blessing if he's leading us there. 
See the pilgrimage. I mean, I'm sorry, the preparation and the promise, but let's look thirdly at the pilgrimage. Let's move to verses 4 through 6, which focus on the actual journey of of Abraham and, and his call. Abraham does answer this call, and he leaves Ur. He begins his journey of faith. And I must tell you that if we were to read only this account from Genesis that Moses writes to us, we might be a little confused and miss the timeline of things, miss the chronology of things. And so what I want us to do here is I want us to lay out a little bit of of chronology. I want us to, to understand Abraham's journey and understand what it means. The call of God came to Abraham when he was living in Ur. If you just look at the reading today, did you notice how it tells us, like if you go back to chapter 11, do you see how in verse 31, Terah took Abraham, Sarah, Lot, and it says that they went to Haran and settled there. Terah died. But then it starts in verse 12 by telling us about the call that came to Abraham. So you might think that the call came to Abraham when he was living in Haran, right? Based on just what we've read. But when you compile that with other parts of Scripture, you realize that the call came to Abraham when he was living in Ur. I want to back up to that passage that we read before. Let's look at Acts chapter 7 and verse 2. And we've already read verse 2, but I want us to read verses 3 and 4 as well, and you'll get a little bit of a better timeline here and and see how God's call came to him when he was in Ur. Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And he said to him, Go out from your land and your kindred and go to the land that I will show you. That sounds a lot like Genesis 12.1, right? And he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Now, based on everything we just read and what we've read in Genesis, let's kind of gather a timeline. Uh, Philip, if you've got a map you could throw back up maybe for us, maybe that would be helpful if you could put that back up while we're, while we're walking through this, right? So... God calls Abram when he's living in Ur. God comes to him and gives him that call. In verse 12, I mean, uh, chapter 12 and verse 1, it's the call, leave your home, leave your family, leave your gods, leave your life, follow me. Abram made plans to set off. Now, in the course of that, he probably tells his father, Terah, about that plan, Right? Terah, being the patriarch of that family still, joins in on that and evidently heads off with them. That's why in verse 31 of chapter 11, it says that Terah kind of describes Terah as the leader of that trek, probably because he was the the living patriarch when they left. Now, think about living in Ur. Think about Abraham. He doesn't know where God's called him. God hasn't told him where he's going. He didn't even give him a direction. Did you notice that? Leave your home, leave your life, leave your family behind, and go to the place that I will show you. And so he just starts walking, and he does what we would do if we were in his shoes. If God calls me to go somewhere, I'm going to just start walking. But notice, if he goes a lot of different directions there, he's going to walk at one point, he's going to go to the ocean, and he walks another point, he's going to go out into the desert. And so it seems very practical to walk up through this fertile Euphrates River where there's settlements and where there's towns and where we're not going to die out in the middle of the desert. That's what he does. You can see how he makes it all the way to Haran. You think about that area of like southern Turkey. We don't know why they stopped and lived there because it makes it pretty clear that they, they settled down a little bit there. It's different than how how that trek has happened up to that point. We don't know why. Maybe, you know, God hadn't told Abraham, so maybe Abram thinks this is the spot. Let's see if this is the spot. Let's settle here. This seems like the spot. Let's see if God's in this. You know, we also learn in the end of 11 that Terah died there. So I also have thought about what if Terah was like sick or not doing well and they make it this far in the journey and they just have to stop for a little bit. 
he can't go any further and he passes away. And then when he passes away, they continue on their journey. Maybe, that's, maybe they stop and live in Haran to care for him in his, in, in, in his last days. Whatever it is in that regard, they settle there for a while and then they leave again. Now, you'll notice too that there's a real change or course in direction. They have been going that northwest direction, but in Haran there's a real change, a real distinct turn down to the south. You know, some people believe that there were two calls of God. I think if a person believes that God called Abraham in Haran, they would be, that, that, that's not right. That's not where the first call came. God may have spoken again, but we have no record of that. I kind of feel like it's, it's the way it is, you know, for me and you. He, God spoke to him in Ur, and he knew what he needed to do. But when he got to Haran, I'm not sure that there was an additional call of God. It's just that that first call continued to burn on his heart. And he knew that this didn't feel right. Has anybody ever had that feeling? Like it's like a, uh, it, it's, it's, you're not at peace. If, I, if we stay here, can, can't you just imagine Abram and Sarah laying down that night? They're laying in their bed, haven't gone to sleep, and he says, we've got to keep going. I, I just don't have a peace that this is where God has called us to be. This is not where we're supposed to be. This doesn't finish the thing. We've got to keep going. It's, it's the direction of God that's leading him to where he's going. And so for whatever reason, they head south and they end up in that land of Canaan. And that is the place where God says, this is the place, Abram. This is the, this is the land that I'm going to give to your ancestors. When we get told that by Stephen in Acts, when we get... When this telling is given in Genesis by Abraham, isn't it very, um, just read it with me. Look at verse 4. Abraham departed from Haran, and he took his wife and his nephew and all their possessions, and they set out to the land of Canaan, and then they came to Canaan, and they arrived. <laughs> it's so odd. I don't know, not flippant. It's just so, it's just so matter of fact that this is what happened. But do not miss, this is amazing to me. Do you understand? It's amazing. Imagine right now, God tells you, pack up your family, leave what you've known, and go to the place that I will show you. No U-Hauls to rent. No trucks and trailers to load up. You're taking all of your possessions and everything you have, you're putting it on camels, carts, whatever, carrying it on your back, and you are walking. And they walked a long way. Conservatively, if we were to go with a conservative location of Haran and how they got from Haran to Canaan, they walked from here to Dallas, Texas conservatively. If you go the track that we walked up here and you, and you wander around and you say, maybe it could have been as far as walking from here to Los Angeles, California. No trucks, no trailers. You're walking to the place. You know where you're going? To the place that God will show you. Hey, Abraham, can you meet us over here next week? Well, I can't, buddy. We're, we're actually moving. Oh, you're moving. Where are you going? I don't know. What, what do you mean you don't know? Well, well we're, we're just, you know, going wherever God, wherever God leads us. That's where we're going to end up. If I resigned Center Grove Baptist Church and you said, David, where are you going? Well, we're moving. I don't know. Another church? You going to another church somewhere? No. Just wherever God takes us. It's incredible, isn't it? Now listen, it shouldn't surprise us. Do you know, I mean, it's amazing to me and I, I feel like that's a confession. As I say that to you, I feel like it's a confession because what happens is God spoke and Abraham obeyed. And as Christians, that should be what happens, right? God should speak, we should obey. 
but come on. I've often paired this with Noah. You know, God gives directions to Noah, and what does he do with Noah? Make an ark. Oh, I'll, look, I'll even give you the blueprint. This many cubits high, this many cubits wide, use this kind of wood, pitch it on the outside, pitch it on the inside with pitch, you know? I mean, he gives him the whole, he gives him the recipe for ark building. You know what he says to Abram? His head off, man. I'll show you the way. And he does. Now listen, what's interesting to me about this is, and it's interesting that Abraham's journey of faith starts here because it's so representative of what it's going to be like after this for Abram. What God's calling him to do, it's not necessarily life-threatening what he's asking him to do. It is most certainly life-altering, but it's not exactly life-threatening, is it? But he calls him to do it, and he says, I just want you to go and trust me. Because when we walk by faith, we're trusting in God alone. That's what we're trusting in. When he calls us to go, when he called Abraham to go, he left and he made this pilgrimage of so many miles at the word of the living God who had come to him. Where's God asking you to go? Where's the next step for you? You know, Mark and I had a discussion this week, and Mark was telling me about a, a fella he knew in his past, and, and Mark's comment to the man was, I, I just don't know what God's calling me to do. You know what the man's response was? Well, I can assure you he's not calling you to do nothing. Where is God asking you to go? Well, David, I, I'm not sure he's asking me to go anywhere. I don't believe that. He may not be asking you to pick up, pick up your family and move across the country, but he might be asking you to go to a new place spiritually that you have never been before. He may be asking you to trust him, in way, and, and I believe that he's shown you that. I believe he's shown you that already. Remember the preparation part of this message? I believe prior to us coming into this room, he is leading us or he's giving some inkling of where we should be moving so that we will be ready for the next thing that comes. He's calling us to go somewhere. I don't know where it is, and only you can know how the Holy Spirit of God is leading you. But he's calling us to go somewhere, and that's the pilgrimage. On the other side of that pilgrimage is the promise of blessing, to be obedient and to walk with him. The question is, will you have faith in him? He's been preparing you for that, and he's calling you to that, and he, this is the pilgrimage set before you. Will you go? The last part of this story that we need to look at is the praise. I will not be long. We need to think about the praise for just a moment because when you get down to verses 7 and 8, God has, or, or uh, Abraham has arrived at the place that God has shown him, and it tells us in both 7 and 8 that Abraham built an altar. When they kind of come into that land, God tells him to build an altar, or he, he builds an altar there to the Lord because God has said, this is the land that I'm going to give to your offspring. But as Abraham continues into that land, he finds a place to settle, and it says in verse 8, there he built an altar to the Lord. He called on the name of the Lord. Abraham, in trusting God and in going into this place, what we find is, is that there's, there's praise for God. There's praise for God through this journey. There's praise for God on the other side of this journey where he's leading you. There's this devotion to God. And what you're going to notice is in this story of Abraham, the fact that he builds an altar or the fact that he doesn't build an altar says something about Abraham's heart and his connection with this God who has called him. His, his willingness to praise God, his willingness to worship God says something about his obedience and about, his play, about the place of where his heart is. You know, I believe that what's interesting, probably the most interesting thing about this to me is in verse 7, the first few words of that verse say, then the Lord appeared to Abram. 
We know that the call came to Abram when he was in Ur of the Chaldeans. Now, some people may believe that God gave him a second call in Haran, but that is not given in Scripture to us, okay? It's not given. So it may have happened, and I'm willing to concede that, but we're not given a record of that in Scripture. What we're told, and we can, we can say with certainty, is that God spoke to Abraham in Ur, and God spoke to Abraham in Canaan. Do you understand? God called Abram to do a thing, and God did not speak again until Abram had done the thing. That's really important. I know it sounds really simple. It's really important. My belief is that God, what, I think the pattern that you see in Scripture, I think this is the pattern that you see when it comes to our salvation. I think it's the pattern that you see when it comes to our Christian growth. God reveals himself to us, and if we respond to what God has revealed, do you know what God does? God reveals more. If we don't respond to what God has revealed, he doesn't reveal more. But when we continue to respond to what he has revealed, God continues to show himself to us. The Bible tells us that what can be known about God can be clearly perceived in creation. And, and because you can look around you at this world with such order, with diversity, but with such order, it's proof that God is there. It is God revealing something about himself. And I believe that when a person responds to that, they're not saved. They're not, they're not saved at that point. God is able to reveal more. God is able to reveal more. And ultimately, there's this moment where God reveals and a person responds to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is, it's, it's saving. It's, it's, it's salvation at that moment. Think about how you grow as a Christian. Think about how as you read God's word, God shows you something in a devotion. God uses a message from the pulpit and God shows you something new in his word. And if you respond to it, what does God do? You learn something about him. You grow deeper in your relationship with him. You, you progress. But, but if not, what's God doing? He seems to be coming back to that thing. Abraham left Ur because God spoke, but God did not seem to speak again until they arrived in Canaan. You know, some of you are saying, go where God wants me to go. I, David, I can't even tell you the last time that I heard God speak to my heart. Maybe you haven't done the thing that God asked you to do way back yonder, and God's waiting on obedience. And if you would respond to what he's already revealed, it might be that God would speak to your heart. But God told you he loved you when he buried you. I told you there. And I bet you that it's not that God told you once and then God left it alone. God kept putting his finger back on that thing. And you're saying, David, I hadn't heard from God. It's like I'm out here in the middle of nowhere. Where's he at? Don't go back to those times when God is saying, right here. Right, this, this right here. Remember when I asked you to do that? Remember when I called you to be obedient here? That's how he spoke to Abraham. He showed back up. His, another word came to Abraham. This is the land that I will give your offspring. And it was there that Abraham built an altar. Abraham, through his faith, God was staking out a claim for his people in what Abraham would do in that moment. When we begin this year, it may seem daunting to head off into a future that we don't know. But God has not abandoned us. He's called us to go there because it's his will. He has promised us blessing on the other side. He will walk through us as we pilgrimage from where we are to where he wants us to go. And there's because of all of that, there's praise for him at every count. 
In studying this week, I found this word about faith from Charles Spurgeon, and I thought it was good. Look at the faith of the master mariner. He looses his cable. He streams away from the land. For days, weeks, even months, he sees neither sail nor shore. Yet he goes day and night without fear. Till one morning, he finds himself exactly opposite the desired haven toward which he has been steering. How has he found his way over the trackless deep? He's trusted his compass, his nautical almanac, his glasses, the heavenly bodies. And obeying their guidance, without sighting land, he has steered so accurately that he has not changed a point to enter port. It's a wonderful thing. It's glorious to be so far out on the ocean of divine love, believing God, steering for heaven straight away by the direction of the word of God. Isn't that good? The same way the sailor sets out, I love that phrase, onto the trackless deep. 2024 is a trackless deep for every one of us. How will we make it to the other side? He's given us direction in his word. He's given us the gift of his Holy Spirit. And if you're here today and you don't know him as Lord and Savior, the application of this word is not going to be helpful to you. You're not going to be able to perceive it apart from the Holy Spirit. You're not going to feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit. You're going to be heading off into the trackless deep with no direction other than, well, that seems like the right thing. That's what everybody else is doing. This seems the most profitable or beneficial at the time. But if that's the way you have been living your life and you find yourself at all the wrong ports, it could be that like the master mariner, you need to trust in the one who can guide you safely to where he wants you to go. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his presence to guide us. And he asks us to do the small thing of stepping out in faith. Faith's first steps are not always giant steps. And in comparison, it may seem like an amazing thing that Abram does in this story, but compared to the other things that God will ask of him along the way, this is a small thing. I don't know what God would call you to do in the future, but I believe that today his Holy Spirit would direct you for where you need to go right now into the unknown with him. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Rooted and Resolved is a ministry of Center Grove Baptist Church. You can find us at centergrovebaptist.com.